You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Sweetie, if you're not living on the edge, then you're taking up space. Hello, my friend. Today, we are talking about feminism, racism, and intersectionality, and how one woman changed activism as we know it, and how such an influential woman could be essentially wiped from the history books. Florence Kennedy may be one of the baddest assist people in the 60s and 70s. I'm just fired up and ready to tell you all about Flo, as she was often called. So get yourself a snack and get your protest sign and let's get started. I cannot begin to tell you about Florence Kennedy without explaining what was going on during the 1960s and 1970s. Historians classify the early 1960s as something called the second wave of feminism. This was when there was a second wave of feminism happening, as well as the Black Panther movement, Vietnam War protests, and a post-war society, and just the sh- Gosh, a ton of activism. During the 60s and 70s, the Black Panthers and many other feminist groups were in full swing, fighting their butts off for equality. But there was this ridiculous idea that the civil rights movement and the feminist movement were mutually exclusive, or the two things couldn't happen at the same time. And this was the prevailing idea for the early 60s. However, Flo was one of the first people to introduce something called intersectionality in race and gender equality. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I just wanted you to have that knowledge in your brain as I explain the rest of this stuff. So how did Flo get to the point of introducing new racial and gender equality concepts? Well, for that, we have to start at the beginning. Here are some fast facts about Florence Kennedy. She was born on February 11th, 1916 in Kansas City, Missouri, where there was super heavy KKK presence, and there's still some there now. But her parents did an amazing job protecting their four daughters from these garbage human being KKK members. In her autobiography, Flo recalls her father carrying a shotgun around with him and having to almost use it a few times. Surprise, surprise. Flo's parents taught her that she had all the rights that anybody else had, and if teachers or other authority figures were rude to her or wanted to punish her unfairly or treat her unfairly in any way, that she didn't have to listen to them. They told her that she was special and that she was smart and she could live her life her own way. Here's a little excerpt from her autobiography about her parents. My parents gave us a fantastic sense of security and worth. By the time the bigots got around to tell us that we were nobody, we already knew we were somebody. She saw the injustice and racism and was given the gift of self-worth and respect by her parents and not to take things lying down. And boy, howdy, did she not take things lying down. She stood all the way up to fight against racism, sexism, unfair abortion laws, stupid ass reproductive laws, sex work discrimination, LGBTQ plus discrimination, 
and malicious and stereotypical representations of women and minorities in media. Like I said earlier, Florence Kennedy would become one of the most influential activists in the 1960s and 70s. Flo's first brush with political activism was just a few years after she graduated from high school in 1934. She successfully executed a boycott against Coca-Cola for not hiring black drivers. Flo had just barely graduated high school and she was already carrying out successful boycotts. That Coca-Cola factory then started hiring black drivers. But that was just the beginning. Her real work got started in 1924 when she moved to New York City and the city of Harlem. Flo didn't have a grand dream of becoming a lawyer specifically, but that was one of the ways that she knew she could enact social change. She fought her patootie off to be the first black person to graduate from Columbia School of Law in 1951. But entering the school in the first place was no easy task. She was only admitted to Columbia School of Law after she threatened to sue the school for not allowing her to attend. Not because she was black, but because she was a woman. And to that, she said, the associate dean, Willis Reese, told me I had been rejected. Not because I was black, but because I was a woman. So I wrote him a letter saying that whatever the reason was, it felt the same to me. And some of my more cynical friends thought I had been discriminated against because I was black. She was hinting at the NAACP suing Columbia's bigoted ass for not letting her into the school of law on clearly sexist reasons. Like Dean Willis Reese told her it was because she was a woman. <sighs> Just blatant sexism, man. But that didn't stop her. She successfully entered and graduated Columbia School of Law. And she was the first black American to graduate from Columbia School of Law. She had an incredibly successful law career and in 1954, she opened up her own practice where she represented a lot of A-list people like H. Rap Brown, Billie Holiday, Charlie Parker, the Black Panther members, Asada Shakur, Valerie Solanas, and many more people. One of her specialties was representing black musicians and suing the record labels because they weren't giving these musicians their rightfully earned money, which is freaking awesome. And she continued doing this for many years, but she felt like that just wasn't cutting it. And she said in her autobiography, not only was I not earning a decent living, there began to be a serious question in my mind whether practicing law could ever be an effective means of changing society or even of simple resistance to oppression. Things took a turn for her when she was arrested for the first time in 1965. This would not be the last time Flo would be arrested, but it left a huge impact on her. This is the situation that happened. Cops didn't believe that she lived 
in the neighborhood that she lived in. Surprise, freaking surprise, this happened in the 1960s, but we still have the same thing going on in 2020. But I digress. She was arrested in her own neighborhood, and when she was taken in, she was beaten so badly that her spine became fused. Just disgusting police brutality. And this was the turning point for Flo, and it began her over 30-year fight against injustice. So let's talk about Flo the activist. Flo believed that a steady and consistent attack against all forms of oppression on a bunch of organizational fronts helped revolutionary change happen faster. She worked on a wide variety of organizations, ad committees, and NPOs, and organized protests and boycotts and literally anything you could think of. She was there and she had a hand in it. But we're gonna talk about the specifics in a little bit. I first wanna tell you about Flo's kind of philosophy surrounding her political activism. Flo said, my main message is that we have a pathologically institutionally racist, sexist, classist society. And she continued, techniques that are used not only damage black people, but they also damage women, gay people, ex-prison inmates, prostitutes, children, old people, handicapped people, Native Americans, and that if we can begin to analyze the pathology of oppression, we would learn a lot about how to deal with it. Remember when I said that the main idea in the early 1960s was that the civil rights movement and feminism could not exist together? Well, Flo thought that was a bunch of bullshit and kind of came up with this idea of intersectionality. I am not claiming that she is the founder of intersectionality. However, she was one of the first people to kind of speak out about this idea. The idea that different parts of a person's social and political identities for example, their gender, their race, their class, their sexuality, their ability, their physical appearance, their height, any number of things can combine to create a unique kind of discrimination as well as privilege. So think about all of these different things as like blocks, as like Legos. And you take your gender block, you stack it. You take your race block, you stack it. Your class stack it, sexuality, ability, all of these different things. And you end up with a pile that is you. And society deems whether you have socially acceptable blocks or if some of your other blocks are not really things that society appreciates. And oftentimes they are things that society looks down upon or discriminates against. And I wanna give you just one kind of real world example of how intersectionality can work. So if you have a black man and a white woman in America, the black man will make 74 cents and the white woman will make 78 cents to every dollar that a white man makes. 
a black woman faced with multiple forms of oppression only makes about 64 cents to every dollar that a white man will make. This is just one very, very, very small example of the realities of intersectionality. And in the show notes of this podcast, I have left some literature for you to look at if you would like to research about intersectionality more yourself. So let's get back to our girl Flo. So with this idea of intersectionality, Flo really wanted people to see that racist techniques could be used against all oppressed people. She wanted women specifically to examine the sources of their oppression. She talked about day-to-day acts of resistance that we could take and how we can turn those everyday acts into big political statements. But Flo was not all talk and theories. The woman loved organizations and committees and MPOs. Like I said, Flo was in a bunch of groups and organizations and co-founded many of them. For example, in 1966, she began the media workshop that discussed ways to challenge popular media depictions of women and minorities. They would lead boycotts against companies that didn't include black people in commercials and many Many of their boycotts were very successful in getting companies to change and represent women and minorities in a more accurate and positive light. Then in 1968, she was one of the organizers of the Miss America protests. In 1971, she co-founded the feminist party that nominated the first female presidential candidate, Shirley Chisholm, who was not only the first female candidate for the presidential office, but she was the first black person as well. But she didn't stop there, my friend. Oh no, in 1972, she brought tax evasion charges to the motherfucking Catholic Church. The whole Catholic Church, like the whole thing, for violating the separation of church and state by interfering in abortion laws. Because you can't be having none of that up in laws in the United States. Because we have, one more time, separation of church and state. Once again, for the people in the back, separation of church and state. But I digress. In 1973, she led the Harvard bathroom protest, also known as the Harvard Pee-In, where she organized women to pour fake urine down the steps of the main hall. And in that same year, she co-founded the National Black Feminist Organization. The woman was making things every single year. There was no stopping this activist train. Oh, and I forgot to mention that in 1967, she traveled the lecture circuit with the writer Gloria Steinem, and it began a 20-year-long lecture career. But it doesn't stop there, my friend. Oh, no. One of my favorite things that Flo did was in 1969, she was one of the lawyers in the Abramovich and Lefkowitz case, which was a class action suit that wanted to repeal New York's strict abortion laws. 
This case was one of the first to use women who had suffered from illegal abortions as expert witnesses instead of relying on physicians. They listened to these women for the first freaking time. And these tactics were eventually used in the Roe v. Wade case in 1973, which overturned restrictive abortion laws. And Flo would go on to be a lawyer for the Women's Health Collective and 350 plaintiffs in a similar lawsuit about abortion in New York. This is by no means an exhaustive list of the things Flo did in her life. And I've got a ton of other resources for you in the show notes, so please check them out. I cannot sum up Florence Kennedy better than she did herself. In her biography, Color Me Flow, she said, I'm just a loud-mouthed, middle-aged colored lady with a few spine and three feet of intestines missing, and a lot of people think I'm crazy. Maybe you do too, but I never stop to wonder why I'm not like other people. The mystery to me is why more people aren't like me. So we've come to our final thought today, friend, and it's going to be a little bit different today. We're going to talk a little bit about whitewashing history, especially when it comes to black women. Feminism feminism is classified in two waves. The first from 1850 to 1940, and the second wave beginning in the early 1960s, but there is a whole other movement that is not talked about, one without white feminists. Because white people have been in power of the education system for so long, the history that we learn in the United States, specifically, I'm speaking about the United States because that is where I got my education from, is skewed in the very much white perspective. And this is just ridiculous and frankly absurd because we miss out on so many important historical figures. And this has happened a lot in feminist studies. So like I said, feminism is classified as having two waves, the first and the second, but there is a hardly talked about other wave like I said, that does not include white feminists. And that started in 1944 with Rosa Parks, who was a trained activist, not just some lady who was tired on a bus one day. And we continue on with a woman named Fannie Lou Hamer, who fought against the unlawfully forced sterilization of black women in Mississippi. Oh, what does that mean? sterilization. TK, you can't be serious. The United States wouldn't be sterilizing people. Oh yes, they were, friend. Mississippi and many other states made it a rule that in return for welfare, black women had to be sterilized. And in some cases, they weren't given a choice. But it doesn't stop there. We have women like Polly Murray, Loretta Ross, Bell Hooks, Alice Walker, and many many more. The list simply goes on, my friend. This part of feminism isn't talked about. And it's not just black American women, but Latin American women, Asian American women as well, 
are all not represented in the history books. And I have frankly had enough of it. It's hardly, if at all, taught in schools or put into the US history curriculum. So I'm gonna talk about it. And I'm gonna start a new series focusing on these feminist activists. So please look forward to that. And if there is any activist, feminist or otherwise that you know of, please drop me a DM on the Instagram and let me know because I, I too am trying my best to learn and educate myself on things that I just don't know about and definitely 110% should know about. So please look forward to that in the future. But that's all I've got for you, friend. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have left you a ton of links for further research and education. So go ahead and take a look at those. And thank you so much for spending time with me. And I will leave you with a Flo Kennedy quote. Freedom is like taking a bath. you got to keep doing it every day. Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>